0: Tribune Audio Network.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't even know what it is. Leanne's already laughing. Executive producer Leanne knows this is a good one. If you had to be stranded on a desert island with one of your Fox 6 peers, who would it be and why? Wow.
2: From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. We are investigative reporters breaking down the big stories,
0: what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on
1: TV. On today's episode, a matter of life and breath, a grieving father's story that's sparking a call for change in how choking is handled in schools.
2: Plus, it's the biggest complaint we get, robocalls, the reason not all of them are bad, and the difficulties getting scammers to hang up.
0: Hello, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with Brian Polson. Hi, Amanda. And Jenna Sachs.
2: Hello. It's the kind of thing that keeps anxious parents up at night. What do you do if your child starts choking? And what if it happens when someone
0: else is watching them? A distraught father called the Fox Six investigators after his nine-year-old son choked to death in a school cafeteria. And Brian, this is something the father thought really could have been avoided.
1: He sure did. And I, I noticed, by the way, I'm sitting here with two mothers. You know, you, Amanda, mother to be, Jenna. You already have children, so you can imagine what uh, what Mr. Megna was going through. His son Sam was atten- attending a summer school day camp at Milwaukee Public Schools. This was a couple of years ago, and uh, his son in the lunchroom suddenly starts choking on pancakes. There were several adults in or near the cafeteria that day, and two of them did try to help Sam by attempting the Heimlich maneuver and uh, later doing chest compressions, but it simply wasn't enough to save the young boy's life.
2: Obviously, this is such a tragic story, but... That isn't what upset the family the most, right?
1: Uh, No, it's not. I mean, obviously they were distraught over the loss of their son who passed away, but they weren't upset at the people who attempted to help him. They did their best. They did all they could with what they knew and with the situation. What really bothered him was that no one called 911 until after Sam had lost consciousness. And then what really sent Sam's father over the edge, he just couldn't believe what the school district's head nurse told him next. She told me that their policy as far as a child choking is not to call 911 until the child passes out.
0: So, Brian, when you started digging into this, is that true about their policy, not calling 911
1: until the child passes out? Well, when Mark Megna first told me this on the phone, he said that he'd been told by the head nurse that their policy was not to call 911 until a child passed out. I thought, is that really? I mean, he's telling me this is what they said. Maybe he was grieving at the moment. Maybe he heard it wrong. So, of course, one of the first things I did was ask Milwaukee Public Schools. Is this your policy? And if it's not your policy, did your nurse really say this and why? Or maybe did he mishear it? I never got any direct response to that. I certainly never got any contradiction that that was their policy or that the nurse said that to him.
2: But your investigation found that CPR training recommends calling nine one one right away. right? Well, yeah,
1: and, and it seems like maybe a no brainer that you'd want to call nine one one in an emergency sh- situation. But we don't run across—I mean, I've fortunately never run across a choking victim, a person in the middle of choking. It's not something we practice very often. So you might think the first thing to do is jump right in, start trying to dislodge whatever the item is, and then once you're in it, you're focused on that, and you think. I can save this person. I can save them right now. And if I do that, um, you can maybe avoid the need to call 911. But 911 trains. They strongly emphasize call 911 immediately and if you're in the middle of doing those abdominal thrusts or whatever it is, have someone else call 911 as you begin those thrusts or, or chest compressions or whatever. But none of the adults in the cafeteria the day Sam Magna died had up-to-date CPR training, so maybe they hadn't gotten that reminder anytime recently. And the first one that did respond said she didn't feel comfortable doing the Heimlich maneuver.
0: Well, and so you say they didn't have up-to-date CPR training, but... Is having any CPR training at all a requirement for staff, for people who work in school districts?
1: That's certainly what Mark Megna thought should be the case. He said, look, at his job, he's got to get CPR every couple of years, and he doesn't even work around children. But what we found, very simply, the answer is no. School staff members, teachers, and others are not required to get any kind of medical training, CPR Dealing with choking, the Heimlich maneuver—it's voluntary. And and not only was this complicated by the fact that school uh, staff members aren't required to. This was a summer day camp, so you're dealing with volunteers in a lot of these cases. Are volunteers who are watching and caring for your children required to get this kind of training? And again, the answer is no.
2: So. On the state level, is there any sort of requirement for students or for teachers when it comes to knowing CPR? And that's
1: sort of the the irony we pointed out, I think, in the story is for all the right reasons, there has been a push in recent years to get students uh, taught CPR. And uh, that may or may not include the Heimlich Maneuver, but at least it involves some sort of rescue. You come across someone who's passed out, someone who's having a a heart issue, a basketball player that collapses on the floor. We want students to grow up and become citizens who know how to handle these sorts of things. So legislation was passed a few years ago to require all students in grades 7 through 12 at least one time in that time period to be trained in CPR before they graduate. So we're training. We require that students get this but not the people who are in charge of those students. And and there are some who certainly looked at this and said, well, that appears to be a gap. Why wouldn't you have the adults take the same kind of training? Right.
0: Well, and so it's definitely easy to go along that line of thinking. But then you, when it comes to actually passing a law, it's never as simple as that. So you come to questions like, what would that cost? How often would it teachers and other staff members have to stay up to date on that. Are are the teachers paying for it? Are the taxpayers paying for it?
1: And of course, we ask our teachers to do more and more all the time. So here's just another thing. Hey, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. You want me to teach these students. Teachers
0: say they're already taking on policing roles and psychologist roles and social worker roles in schools. And now there's kind of a medical level to it. So how do we address the complications of that issue while also recognizing, okay, clearly there's a gap here?
1: Well, those are not easy questions to answer, but uh, after we aired this original story, I got a call from uh, a guy who I happen to know because we had met on the soccer field and just outside of of work, um, a state representative named Daniel Reamer. He represents Mark Megna. He lives in his district, Mark does. And he and his staff were watching this story and said they were just overcome with emotion and watching what he'd gone through. This is one of his constituents, and he thought that people ought to know what to do in those situations. So he took this on as a project, what can we do to help get adults who are in charge of – the care of children better prepared in this kind of situation. So he did an interview with us to get the word out about his interest and he started working with stakeholders. He started talking to the American Heart Association, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, and I believe he's also reached out to and spoken to the teachers union. Again, a little more difficult discussion there because they don't want to talk about whether they support a concept like this until they know there's a bill that says this is exactly what it'll be. And it's there's one a liability thing, issue too. Well, and there's one thing to conceptually say we want People to be better trained, but the devil's always in the details. What does that mean?
2: I can't get over how heartbreaking this is—not only for his family, but for the people who were there that day. Maybe the other kids who saw it. I'm interested in what other states maybe have done. You know, are they doing it differently when it comes to requirements than Wisconsin is?
1: Some are, and we there. There was a, a website, and I don't have it off the top of my head here, but there's a, a website that tracks this, and they go state by state to look at what legislation uh, has been passed in terms of requiring specifically looking at whether students are required to get this training and whether staff members, teachers are required to get this training. And in, in when we did this original story, we showed a map and you see Every state surrounding Wisconsin was highlighted has some sort of legislation. And in some cases, that may be as simple as only gym teachers and sports coaches need to know CPR. Some, it was all teachers are required to get this before they can even be certified by the state. And in other cases, it was somewhere in between. Wisconsin is the only state in the region that was blank on that map. There is no requirement. For staff members. Students, again, are now required to get this training at least once, so that's a step in the right direction, but there is certainly. Comparatively, looking at other states around us, there's a gap in that kind of training for adults who are in charge of kids.
0: So where do things stand right now and where do they look like they're going? Because if I remember correctly, this story aired about a year ago. So The original
1: story, yeah. Uh, and, and then it, just very recently before Christmas break, I believe it was, um, I spoke to Representative Reamer again, who'd gotten a little further along with Children's Hospital and the American Heart Association, which have a joint project called Project Adam. Now, Project Adam was actually responsible for getting AEDs placed in schools all over the state of Wisconsin. That was a big achievement. Um, But now they're looking at not just CPR training, but maybe the bigger picture of should schools have emergency plans for this kind of thing that every staff member is trained in? And how do you do this in a way that's collaborative that you get teachers and others on board with as opposed to punitive that says you have to and you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for it. That's where this becomes difficult. If you say as uh, you know, members of the state legislature – Teachers, you have to get this training. Go find a way to pay for it. You're going to find a lot of opposition.
2: Have you heard from teachers about how they feel about it? Did you reach out to their union?
1: I did example? reach out to uh, the Milwaukee Teachers uh, Education Association, and I and the only response I got was they really want to wait and see what's in this legislation before they can take a position. And I, as I said before, I think in concept they probably support the idea of having staff members be better prepared, but when there are already so many requirements on teachers. Um, looking at an unfunded mandate, for instance, would be something they probably wouldn't support. So where this comes down in terms of details may dictate where their support is.
0: So, of course, we're talking about systemic change, but nothing is stopping individual school districts from developing their own policies. Has Milwaukee Public School District changed any policies since this incident happened? I, I know they weren't exactly eager to speak to you about this issue.
1: No, they didn't do an interview for the story and they really didn't offer much in terms of response. In fact, from the very beginning, what got Mark Megna to reach out to us in the first place was what he felt was a very uncaring response, in his view, from Milwaukee Public Schools. There was an internal investigation done. That was what discovered that none of these people who were there that day, the adults in the room had had up-to-date CPR training and and uh, Mark Megna had to fight to get The records of that internal report about the death of his own son. Mm -hmm. He said he really had to fight and fight and fight and he finally got the report and when he got it he couldn't believe what he was reading and he went back to the school district and didn't feel he'd gotten much of a satisfactory response. He told us in the original interview he didn't even get so much as a we're really sorry that this happened. He says the district sort of took on a defensive posture as though litigation was coming and in fact that's what Milwaukee Public Schools told us. When I asked for an interview they said because of uh, I, they either use the term potential or pending, but I think they use the term pending litigation. Um, and I asked Mr. Megan, are, are you suing or planning to sue? Have you threatened to sue Milwaukee Public Schools? And he said he couldn't find a lawyer who would do it. It's a government entity. And so he said, no, there's nothing on the table. But because of that, we really didn't hear much from MPS. And your original question was, have they made any changes? That's really, I think, an important question. Have they made any change? If they have, they certainly haven't talked about it with us. Whether there's been any change in the way they've addressed this with staff, we don't know. Um, what I do know is that as a district, their emergency response plans don't really specifically say anything about choking.
2: Was this difficult for you personally? You have a son and you have a daughter. I
1: have an 11-year-old son, so close in age to, to Sam Meghna. I, I have a teenage daughter. I think, though, anyone with uh, a parent. And I'll tell you who it really uh, affects um, is people who have maybe, uh, whether it's an older adult or a child with uh, difficulty swallowing, maybe they have disabilities and things like that. Choking is a real serious concern. Younger children, Jenna, you have young kids. Choking is much more of a hazard at a very young age than it is when kids, actually for a nine-year-old, it's a little more uncommon to have a, a fatal choking incident than it would be maybe for a two- or a three-year-old. Um, but I think it's a concern for any parent. There's that moment where everything's fine and suddenly it's not. And would you know what to do in that situation? I think it's it's terrifying.
0: Well, and really when you did this story, it, was, it affected me a lot because it, you didn't run away from the emotion that is behind it, but there were also a lot of facts and a lot of big, important issues to dig into. So we have posted that to our page because I do think you need to watch the video to really understand the... um, the, the father's perspective and and seeing that interview and the home videos of Sam, um, that was a really powerful part of all of this.
1: Well, you know, he acknowledged, by the way, Mr. Megna acknowledged several times that he may just be the grieving father here. And maybe you can chalk it all up to he lost his son, so that's all it is. But if that's all it was, I don't think there would have been a story here. I think there really is the potential for good to be done all of us could use this kind of training and preparation for a choking incident for all around children at times or other adults. Getting this kind of training, the American uh, Red Cross supplies this kind of training. It's important to, to look into if you haven't done it, consider it whether or not you're a school teacher.
0: Well, and when you look at any improvement in safety that we've had in our society, it's been propelled by people who have been grieving, or who have had some kind of emotional experience with it. So, you know, I, I hope he doesn't write himself off as just the grieving father, because that is what has propelled change in the past. And to be able to speak about that experience publicly and and share that in the hopes of change—that's a very—that's a very selfless. Uh, act. I do
1: want to leave it on one thing, and that is as we're recording this right now. The legislation that's been discussed hasn't yet materialized. So whether it's a matter of behind the scenes, the stakeholders involved just haven't come to terms on, on, on what's going or there's enough other stuff going on in the legislature between the new governor and the legislature that's just taken precedent. The budget's happening now. There hasn't been uh, a, a, a bill that's come forward. So this isn't resolved. There's more to be done in, in this way. If there's going to be uh, something more done in terms of training.
0: Well, please remember this story all started from a phone call from Sam's father. So our job is to investigate. We do want to hear from you. If you have a story for us, please call our tip line. That's 414-586-2777. Or you can send us an email at theinvestigators at fox Okay, so it's the number one consumer complaint
1: unsolicited phone calls,
0: specifically robocalls from scammers and telemarketers.
1: Number one complaint. But how bad has it gotten? So the FCC is now estimating, get this, half of the phone calls you get this year, half, will be essentially spam. But they're not always so easy to catch, right, Jenna?
2: Oh, far from it. And isn't that a depressing thought? It is, because <laughs> I keep calls, getting them all day, every They're people who want to actually talk to you. <laughs> right. It's gotten so bad that an estimated 90% of those scam calls will come from a familiar caller ID number, even though the caller will not be local. A trick, tar- it's trying to get you to answer the call, uh, known as spoofing.
0: So we know spoofing is nothing new, neither are scam calls, and in 2018, It seems like the numbers for these were pretty high.
2: Yeah, Amanda. It's estimated that 48 billion phone calls were made to mobile phones in 2018, and the goal is always the same: it's to trick you out of your money.
1: 48 billion calls—that's that's that's with a B, right? That's an obscene number. Yeah. So you get a lot of complaints about these kinds of calls, and I know you've done a number of stories on this.
2: Oh yeah, we've done so many complaints, and a lot of people ask us why these calls keep coming into our phones. And the CEO of a because they can exactly (laughs) the CEO. of a robocall blocking software says the reason is pretty simple.
1: It's gotten extremely easy and cheap to blast out enormous numbers of robocalls. If I wanted to, I could robocall everybody in the city of Milwaukee for about $100.
2: So, obviously, this is a problem that isn't going away anytime soon. In fact, it's getting worse every year. The number of robocalls went up 60%
1: last year. And I've really noticed that, I mean, I'm sure we've all noticed, if you have a cell phone, these things are ringing me several times a day. But you've also got important calls coming in, so you sort of feel like Unless you know for sure you've got to answer.
2: Well, especially as a reporter, we get all sorts of calls to our cell phones. From
1: numbers we don't recognize. Exactly. And
2: then you answer it and it's a robotic voice or there's nobody there and you feel like you've been tricked. Well, and now with cell phones, because even
0: if the area code is different, people calling you from their cell phone that they've had for 10 years, they could have a different area code. Um, I've had to apologize a few times for sounding short when I've answered the phone because I thought it was a scam and, call, it, was a legitimate and call. it was a legitimate person trying to get in touch with me. Now, Jenna, I know sometimes with stories, I will stick to that, Brian. So Jenna, I know it can be tough to get people to talk to us for certain stories, but it sounds like people really wanted to talk about this issue.
2: Right. We do something in TV news called MOS. It stands for man on the street. And that's where we go up to random people on the street and we ask them a question about something. Sometimes it's really difficult like if you're asking about a political issue or something controversial. Because you have to explain
1: what you want to ask them about before you can get their right. reaction Right. You have to this it.
2: pitch like, hi, I'm Jenna with Fox 6. Can I talk to you about this story? Um, it's easy if you're talking about two things. The Green Bay Packers or robocalls. <laughs> because every Everybody hates robocalls. I could just walk up to someone and say, hey, want to talk about robocalls? And yes, they, all, they almost always say 20 yes.
1: minutes later
2: right they're just fueled by hatred for all these calls that are coming into their phone
1: Well and they're different kinds of calls because it's not this isn't all coming from one source right
2: No it's coming from many sources and many of them are overseas which is why they're so difficult to catch and difficult to prosecute and the, the government is having some luck but there are just so many people who can do it and it's so easy to do it you just have to be behind a computer um, with an internet connection and the right software and you can send out calls to every single person in Wisconsin if you wanted to.
1: Now one thing I want to use the term in some of these there are and there are lots of scam called straight up Outright scams. They're trying to rip you off. There are also a lot of automated robo type calls that come from companies that are trying to sell products or they're trying to. But, so they're cold calls, but they're not necessarily scams, right? I mean, is there—is there a spectrum of that sort of thing?
2: Right. That's where you get to the difference between like telemarketing and the people who are really out to scam you. Um, the telemarketers are supposed to be following the do not call registry. Technically, everybody is, um, but if you're a legit telemarketer, you should be respecting that. Um, Scam callers don't care about the do not call registry, so it's not going to be effective with them at all. But yes, telemarketers get your your numbers from all sorts of different lists that are out there circulating. You might not know your number is on these lists that are being bought and sold, but it is. um, And that's why you get so many calls. You know how
1: I know that they're getting my number from a list? And this is how I know when one of these calls comes in immediately that it's from a list, is they say, hi, Karen. For some reason, (laughs) my number's on a list somewhere and they think I'm Karen. In fact... In the most recent election, the election for state supreme court, I was getting text messages from both of the candidates or the candidates, you know, committees or whatever they were. But I was getting these automated text messages, and they would say, "Hey, Karen, glad to have you on our team." See, they think I'm Daniel. Yeah, yeah. So so you're Karen.
0: I'm Daniel.
1: That's how it goes.
0: So, Jenna, I know lawmakers are pushing to do something about this. It'd be a really easy win, get them good points with their constituents. What's going on with that?
2: So there are a lot of things that are being efforted, and some of them will make a difference and some of them won't. Like here in Wisconsin, we've got bipartisan lawmakers who want to make spoofing illegal. And that's great because it kind of gives... It gives um, the government power to hammer on bad actors, and we we can target them and say this is illegal. At the same time, um, a lot of these calls aren't originating in Wisconsin, so unless someone in Wisconsin is making robocalls, it's harder. To, you know, it's going to be easy to prosecute someone here, but not if they're in India. So that
0: legislation wouldn't make the call illegal, but making the call pretend it's from the Milwaukee area. Exactly. Would be illegal. And
2: a lot of times these calls are being spoofed. I've seen 80%, 90% of them are now using these spoofed phone numbers. So that would cut down substantially if they can do something about the spoofing. There's something else um, that might have a little more teeth called the Traced Act, and that's moving through Congress right now. And that would give the FCC um, more time to charge and prosecute violators, and it increases the financial penalties for telemarketing violations, and it has criminal penalties um, for repeat offenders, and it requires service providers to have a process in place that blocks spoofing. Right now, they've been enabled to have a process in place, but a lot of them do not.
1: I remember years ago, I actually did a story specifically, not on robocalls, but on call spoofing. We actually spoofed a state lawmaker as sort of a a, a lighthearted prank to demonstrate the point, and and it made a really good good point. But what I recall from doing that story was the companies that uh, that allow spoofing, there's there's one called, uh, I think it's just spoof call. We interviewed the director or president of the company, and and he gave the defense of spoofing, that there's a legitimate, you know, because we asked, what's the legitimate purpose of this? Why would you need to spoof a phone number? And they explained that, say, for instance, you have a doctor's office, but you make a lot of calls from your cell phone, and you want the doctor's number, the office number to show up instead of your own.
2: Or uh, let's say there's a snow day in your school district, wants to notify all the parents and they want to send out a text message or a a, a robocall to everyone, those are legitimate reasons that we need robocalls, and it's important to figure out which calls are legitimate and which aren't, and that's going to be the challenge.
0: What can people do on an individual level? Because as we talk about a lot on here, legislation, maybe it will form, maybe it won't. It could take a while, but in the meantime,
2: how do we protect ourselves? Well, first of all, don't answer the phone. If it's not a number, you <laughs> Ever. know. For I, any it's reason. A, it's a good rule. I know it stinks, but try not to answer the phone. And if it, Sorry, if it's Denise, important, that's
1: why I didn't answer the phone. Right. <laughs> just in case you're a robocaller, I can't help myself.
2: Well, if it's important, they're going to leave a message. Also, never follow any prompts. If they say press one, don't. Sometimes they just want to confirm that this is an active line. Um, don't answer any questions. Don't engage in conversation. Don't say yes or no because your answer might be recorded and used against you and who knows. Start out and say, can you hear me? Exactly. Don't do that. Um, but there's different things you can do. You know, um, There are different apps you can try to download. Um, there are different services you can install for your landline. There's software options out there, but a lot of them you're going to have to pay for. Um, like AT&T and Verizon have things you can download and try to use to block um, these calls, but you have to pay for them right now, You know, eight ninety nine a month, $6 How does those even work
1: though? Because they, I mean, I understand you can block an individual number, but if the numbers keep changing, how do you, it's that's, like chasing a moving target.
2: That's part of the challenge, but they can track where these calls are being generated from. And if they're seeing large volumes of calls coming out the same way, um, they should be able to track That those are not legitimate calls. It's very complicated with these traceback efforts. I just wonder, we have spam
1: filters on our computer that have gotten better at sort of filtering out those things. And every so often a legitimate call slips into the spam folder and you've got to figure that out and and make, you know, mark it as a safe sender or something Mm -hmm. like that. Are they doing the same things with phone calls, I wonder, because it's the same concept, it's just with calls instead of emails, but right now it seems like there's no spam filter on our phones.
2: Right, so this is one of the biggest thing that needs to be done. Um, they need, uh, I guess, what's the word? We, they need providers to um, have these systems in place. To, in order to block calls. Sometimes it's as simple as blocking the call on their server when the call is made to your phone. They recognize the number, they know it's a scam number, and they can block it. Um, but there's there's just, they need these systems in place, um, and that's what the Traced Act is trying to do. It's trying to require providers to have these processes in place. It's tougher, though, than
0: email, because with email, you, know, you can go in your junk email folder and see that someone tried to get in touch with you. If you have a number that's getting filtered out and someone's trying to call you
2: and it's a legit number. Well, they're saying there might be spam. ways to override that, like if if you know how if you're asked to verify if you're a robot or not on the internet, yeah, yeah you know, sure. click the button. You, click the you could enter a PIN number or you could enter something into your phone that could override hmm. that if it's questioning you when you're trying to make a call, saying we've identified you as a spammer, and you say, well, nope, here's my quote code. I am not a robot.
1: You know what? I can never <laughs> tell which one of the squares actually have pieces of the stoplight. It has a I always miss in it. one. Brian it feels very
2: strongly about this.
1: Issue. Like. Well, I, I think we all do though because we're getting these all the time. But what, yeah. what, what, what? You know, you talk about providers. Whether mm-hmm. it's the, I don't know if it's the cell phone companies like the the Sprints and the Verizons and so on, or is this about the manufacturers, the Apple and Samsung, whoever it is. They figured out a way to make 3D emojis and animated emojis. <laughs> right, I can I can pretend to be a dog and, and send a funny text. But we can't stop spam calls.
2: <laughs> right, and the good thing is experts think we're going to get there. Comparing it to how you know computers used to function without malware, you know we've figured out how to do these things. It's just they have to get everybody on the same page. But it's it's not easy. Consumers
1: I mean, have to get mad enough. I think well really collected. You got to get mad what like is? Brian. That's well, what they're you do. Mad. I'm mad, and I want to do something <laughs> about it.
2: Well, you know, there's there's things that they want to do, and they need, you know, the cooperation of foreign governments. They need the providers to participate. Um, and right now, the statute of limitations for prosecuting these crimes um, is really short. So they need more time um, in order to get these more complex cases figured out. Um, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, we're all just going to suffer through it. But it, the experts are confident this is going to happen. And spoofing, even if that's eliminated, it doesn't get rid of the problem because you can just... Use different numbers and just eliminate the spoofing right. aspect of it. So It'd be an easy to fix
0: if it were just one entity or two entities, but it sounds like
2: there are a whole lot of moving parts here. Right, and they're evolving, and they're finding new ways to do things, and tracking them is not easy. They are cracking down on people. It's just there's so many, and it's so easy to do.
1: And until then, I just have to be Karen.
2: And, and I'll be Daniel. Daniel. And you'll be Daniel. Do you, you have a be? name?
1: What are they calling? No, you
2: I you know I didn't really get a ton of these calls until the last year. Because so I know everybody who you was. Are. Con- well, that's maybe. That's what it is. Don't I, mess with Jenna. They're scared to contact
0: Jenna Sachs.
2: <laughs> well, if you've got a consumer problem and you want someone else to be scared of me, now that's a, a segway. <laughs> wow, I like that. Uh, let us know. You can file uh, fill out a complaint on our website fox6now.com. So that's the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question. This is a weekly segment where we answer questions we
0: most often get asked as journalists at parties or events or just when we're out and about.
1: This is my favorite segment, not because of the bell, not because of the question, just because every time we talk about these are questions we get asked at parties, I'm like, I go to parties, according to this. But I, ha- I don't know the last party <laughs> I've been to. This is the part to. where Although, Brian
0: verbalizes right, I guess his feelings like that
1: he needs more of a social a life. A Game of Thrones watch <laughs> party counts, right? Okay, that counts. Yes. Sure. All so here's the catch: we have no idea what the question is. There are several envelopes. Uh, we've restocked. Actually, we've got a whole bunch of envelopes in front of us, and we're going to pick one at random. And I believe it's my turn this week. It is week. your Am turn. Right? Yes. Okay. So go for it. Um, where do we go? Which one feels like right it has middle? a really good question? <laughs> I think it's not. I think it's this one. Okay.
0: We'll see. Don't disappoint us, Brian.
1: I might have a good question. I can't guarantee I have a good answer. There we so. go. Okay. We just started this already. If you, (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't even know what it is. Leanne's already laughing. Executive producer Leanne knows this is a good one. If you had to be stranded on a desert island with one of your Fox Six peers, (laughs) who would it be, and why? Wow! Putting us on the. I hope one of the other questions isn't (laughs) if you had to be stranded on a desert island. Who would you last want it to be? Because that's <laughs> a whole different conversation. Okay.
0: Well, and the and why part, I feel like, is a crucial portion.
1: Who would you want it to question. be and why? Um, all right. Sh- sh- who, who wants to go on this one? Do you have something, Well, I'm something, trying John? to think of
2: who's the most resourceful. Yeah. Like, oh, do we have anyone outdoorsy practical. who'd be able to, like... Fish or hunt. So could, could it be former hunts.
1: Fox Sixers? Because if that's the case, I might go Gus Gnorski. I mean, he could probably m- manufacture tools out we'll of Well, tell something.
2: people who Gus was. So
1: Gus Gonorsky for many, many years, for those, I, I, you know what? If you're probably listening to a podcast, you might be the generation who'd say, who's Gus? But Gus, for many, many years, uh, a reporter with Fox Six, but also Fix It guy. And he had his Ask Gus Fix It show in the mornings. And uh, so when it comes to resourceful, I would think Gus knows how to get things done. On the island, maybe I don't know, but that's only if it's former Fox Sixers.
2: We I seriously can't. I was with thinking more like know.
1: entertainment, like Ted Perry. He could tell stories. You know, as long as we're bored, he could just tell stories all day long. <laughs> well, well then
0: again, how dangerous is this island? Like, do you just want to be on it with someone who you can outrun, or is it someone Oh, I can who's- outrun? Ted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are my a Kidding, Ted. I'm kidding,
1: Ted. Yes, but no. We we uh, we did talk mutter one year together. We want to do it again, so who, we need to train. Well, who
0: had the best time?
1: It, who who enjoyed themselves the most? Is no, that what you meant? That's no, because you just that's said you could you It's, it's Ted. an untimed event. Uh huh. It's an untimed event. We uh, we finished. We we sure. had a great we had a great time. Maybe Ted
2: that. maybe Ted's optimistic. He could outrun Brian.
1: He might. He might be. <laughs> um,
2: you know, I'm gonna go with a weird answer. Um, well.
1: Because outrunning Ted Perry wasn't weird enough.
2: No. Okay. So there is someone at the station who knows everything. He knows every phone number. He knows everything that's going on everywhere. So there's a guy I go to for like every question that I don't know how to answer, and that's Mark Krieger at our assignment desk. I don't know if he'd want my company, but you know, (laughs) I'm sure he would want your company. like, Like, let's not read into this. I'm choosing a guy, but like he knows everything, and I feel like he'd be like the most resourceful person. To help me, I'm because I'm thinking about how you to know get know off this island. Do? Right, He'd he know would, how to build that survival radio. He would come to this desert
1: out. island with every single sticky note he had filled out with a call from a viewer, and he <laughs> would be like, "Now is the time I can share all my story ideas." Right, because I just he has like a lot his, of story. His ideas.
2: depth of knowledge is very good.
1: Okay, so we we've all right, Amanda. I don't
0: I don't know that I've been here long enough to give a full. Can I That's give an answer? Out. Can I give an answer and like late, later reserve the right to change it? Of course. Like once once I've hit the one year. I feel like I should be able to. Sure. You can change that change anytime. It. Okay. Um, I would actually say our executive producer, Leanne Watson. Oh, what a kiss up answer. no, no, no. Because she's sitting right so there. So she's all into like, but you're working right. out and CrossFit. So it's like, there's like a physical fitness aspect of it that I feel like would come in handy when we had to like build shelters or things like that. I feel like she'd be able to maneuver. She's very resourceful. Leanne's the one who, and if you sit in the investigator's office for long enough, on any given day, on like a slow day, maybe seven people will come back looking for Leanne, asking for like answers to questions or problems Oh, so you think you'll
1: be rescued by all the people coming to look for Leanne? (laughs) Yes,
0: there will be a lot of people (laughs) who come to look for Leanne. So by default, I will be rescued. But also there's that resourcefulness because she's the problem solver. So and yeah, I think that's what I'm going to go with.
1: I'll bet your answer is not going to change after year one. That's <laughs> we'll a pretty see. strong answer, I think. We'll I'm going to be entertained. It's always good to
2: go with your Running boss. from
1: Ted Perry, but you're going to get rescued.
2: If um, if our goal is to just sit on this island and drink mojitos and relax, I'm bringing Angelica Doria with me. Yes, oh, that's right. would, a great answer. She'd be Another. really good laying around on the beach with.
1: Okay, yeah. well, th- yeah. So that's good. I'm, you'll be drinking mojitos. I'll be running away from Ted Perry, and I'll get rescued.
0: So, if you have a question you want us to answer, let us know. It can be <laughs> entertaining, like that one. It can be a serious question. The first
1: couple of episodes, we had such serious questions, and this one was. This was a good one. I like the question. That this was, good. was a
0: good one. So, send us an email at theinvestigators at foxsixnow dot com. <laughs> We'd like to quickly thank the people behind the scenes helping us make this happen. Producer Pete, our editor Dave Machuda, and executive producer Leanne
2: Watson, who will help me get rescued from this desert island. And if you want more open record, you can always head to our website, fox6now.com. Tribune Audio Network.